Building Years Podcast with Justin Alexio and Jeremiah Watkins. New episodes every Wednesday. Welcome to the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Building Years. This is Jeremiah Watkins. It's Justin Alexio. And I'm very excited for our guest that's in the house. He's already been jerking off the microphone before we've even started. Uh, Good buddy, Uh, known this guy for years through the comedy store and just the stand-up scene in general. Please welcome my pal, Earl Skakel to the show, everybody. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> How are you? It's a good podcast voice. <laughs> it is. It, that's great. It really gets to the bowels of the sound system. <laughs> <laughs> this is my natural speaking voice. When when did your, your voice change where it was that deep? Do you remember? Um, about 20 seconds ago. <laughs> I've always had a deep voice. It's just... Um, Were you cool in high school when it came out? You must have been the cool guy. Um, I was a class clown. Um, like, I got votes. I bet you were. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't good with the tuna fish yet, but, <laughs> you know. That's what you call it? You still yeah. call it the tuna fish? No, now I call them cunts. <laughs> these, these girls out here are always looking for the... Frickin' upgrade, you know. You got a TV deal, they want a movie. You got a movie deal, they want a production deal. You got a production deal, they want a director's cut. You got <laughs> director's cut, they want points on the back end. You got a house, they want a fucking mansion. These gold digging cunts always think the grass is greener on the other side of Earl. Well, honey, it's usually shit brown. <laughs> Earl is uh, one of my only friends that could easily be a wrestling personality, <laughs> just like with the way uh, he talks. I, lo- I love it. But that's true, though, what I just said. No, it's, it's <laughs> absolutely true. It's absolutely true. It, you haven't, you've never found love in Los Angeles? You've been here a while, oh, right? Oh, man, you might as well find pussy at a gay bar in <laughs> love in Los Angeles. <laughs> you crazy. Where are you from? Right off the tuna fish boat? <laughs> You just move out here two months ago, dude. Come on, man. <laughs> Love in LA comedy. How long have you uh, been doing comedy now, Earl? Uh, about uh, fifteen years. About two thousand, I started. I started very late, which I always regret. But uh, you know, it's when I started. Mm-hmm. Now, did you start going to the comedy store as soon as? Uh, you started comedy, or did you wait a while before you started going? Yeah, no, I went. Uh, it was like the first place I went, and uh, I saw uh, the first guy I met there. And this name will mean nothing to you guys, but he was a crazy open micer named Gaylord Dingler. It was basically uh, just like a white boon shakalaka, just <laughs> just an insane person. And uh, so I was like, oh wow, this guy's crazy. Let me poke my head inside. And then Scotty Barron. Uh, a legendary uh, open micer who used to talk to himself in the corner. Um, he was on stage singing a song called uh, Britney Spears. Uh, can you swear on this podcast? Yeah, you can say what I don't like swearing, but like the song was called Britney Spears. I fucked her in the ass. And then Brody Stevens was hosting, and he made a kid cry because uh, this kid bombed, uh, you know, Pretty badly, and Brody was like, "Where are you from?" And the guy's like, "La Jolla," 
And Brody was like, well, that drive just got a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I don't think this place is for me. I'm going to go to open mics somewhere else and come back. So Brody used to host the potluck there. Yeah, he, him, Bobby Lee. The first time I did potluck, Bobby Lee was the host. And then uh, Danish and O'Neill. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they were animals. I mean, uh, people think Hinchcliffe and Benji are mean-spirited when they used to host. It, no one touched Danish and O'Neill. I mean, people wouldn't go there because they were hosting. Oh, wow. You know, Because they were brutal. But if you were funny, they would, like, give you props. But it was like, if you weren't, you know, they would bring you up. By, like, yeah, this next guy, uh, he's probably going to suck. Enjoy him. <laughs> So you're already, yeah, you're already digging yourself out of a hole as soon as you get yeah. on stage, essentially. So, you know, I just didn't feel the store was right. for. You, my... you never cried coming up in comedy? Uh, no, never really. I mean, uh, certainly left a few shows, bummed out. Uh, I uh, I actually almost left uh, Roast Battle in Canada, or uh, Jeff Ross Roast Invitational. I'm not sure what the legalities are. The first night, I'm like, fuck, that show for me sucked. <laughs> Uh, and I literally was looking up flights on Air Canada that morning. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I knew, see, I knew that you were upset, but I didn't know it was quite that drastic. But yeah, the first show, you know, I mean, it was. Um, I'm let's just say I'm glad that we had five to work out the kinks. But you guys were good. Whitney was saved uh, our part of the show. Because, uh, you know, I held back because I was, like, scared. Like, to, like, can I act like I do in L.A. up in here? And, right. Uh, and then, you know, Jeff said, yeah, go, you know, make fun of the Jews, agents in the room. And so the next night I did, and it worked out. But Yeah, I mean, I, you you ended up, like, killing throughout the week. I think the, the first night, I think, personally, you were wearing a, was it a Toronto? Toronto Maple Leafs jersey. So, so let me paint the picture for... Uh, you guys who weren't in Montreal, uh, for the Roastmasters Invitational, it's like two roasters going head-to-head in a competition. Then they, there's like this wave section uh, that me and a couple of other guys were involved in that we go up on stage and we like do we heighten the jokes, basically, if, if, a, if a good joke goes over. And uh, Earl Skakel and Whitney Rice are in the house haters section, and they, they, they basically crap on everything. And... Uh, they're like the the villains of the show, if if you will. Um, and Earl was wearing a Toronto jersey whenever he walked out, and I honestly feel like because Canada is such a huge hockey country, they hated Earl to the point where they like shut him off. Yeah, like, no, they, was... the, like they didn't even want to listen to anything he had to say, even though he's playing a character. They're like, yeah, this character, we don't even like you joking around. Yeah, it was the real deal. It was an error in judgment. I thought these people aren't going to be that dumb to think I'm an actual Maple Leafs fan. Wearing it's like the Bloods and the Crips and and Toronto and Montreal. They hate each other, and so I thought, oh, this will be funny. They'll hate me, and then they'll go, oh, he's pretty funny, and you know, I get the joke now. And uh, they didn't. <laughs> but the rest of the week, you adjusted it, and it was super funny. And, and I take it you uh, didn't wear the jersey the rest of the week. No, no, I. Uh, I actually just wore normal clothes after that, you know, just trying to palm, palm with those <laughs> dumb fucks up there. <laughs> Did you have a good time overall in Montreal? It was pretty cool that we, we got to go to a, 
Uh, we went to um, Just for Laughs is what uh, Earl and I are talking about, the the festival, and we did... Um, it's a big deal. I mean, yeah. you know, it's... You know, and you were on the goddamn Comedy Jam, so you, you had a two twofer. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good week. It was, uh, it was exciting. I was definitely physically exhausted by the end of the week because both of those shows are just so energy-draining. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a good time. That was great. I loved it. I mean, it was my first time up there. So, you know, the, the after parties were like, I'm a night owl and it was tough for me. Like every night we would get home at five, six in the morning and you'd go to sleep and have to write racist jokes when you get up. <laughs> were you just getting hammered every day? I don't drink or do drugs. I've never had a drop. Yeah, That's crazy. It's a uh, comic. Yeah. I wanted to actually talk to you about that, Earl, because I recently, um, I recently found that out about you. I've hung out with you a lot, but I, I've never, uh, I guess I've never put that together because I, uh, I personally have never drank. You've never had one drop. No. Never had a beer. No. That, I mean, it, yeah, it's great. But that's why you look good. I mean, it's clean living. Yeah. Um, what, uh, is it just, uh, what your personal reasons? Uh, is it just like family stuff or, uh, a mixture of uh, wanting to be healthy and and different stuff like that because it's a, it's a mi- for me personally it's a mixture of of uh, of family like stuff that's that's happened with family uh, <laughs> over the years. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! He just showed me his dick. I was looking away. <laughs> I mean, uh, to be honest with you, uh, it was my mom bribed me. She said, Earl, you don't drink till you're 18. I'll, I'll get you the car of your choice, like within reason, you know. And so I didn't, and I got a pretty nice car out of it. And it's like, wh- why start now? It's like, see, yeah. that's that's how I always feel because people are like, because uh, like, I, I don't smoke weed uh, or anything either. And people are like, oh, come on, man. You like, why don't you try it? It'll be good. It's like, why would I start now? After I already got through the big hump of like high school and college, that's like the hardest time to get through it. I feel like if you're if as far as like peer pressure and stuff like that, but um, I don't know. Well, you'd have to be a pretty big fucking loser to start smoking and drinking in your forties, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But it's hard, especially at certain clubs we are at. You know, like one in particular where you know weed smoke is like the london fog it just kind of just rolls in and <laughs> yeah you know and it, right before i got to know you up there you know let's just say there were guys who uh favored the powdered refreshments <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know so we're around it constantly i mean i'm offered uh weed and coke probably at least one to two times a week um you know and it just it just doesn't appeal to me. Energy drinks are my drug. Yeah. I mean, I was walking around Canada trying to find diet rock stars like Pookie in New Jack City. <laughs> <laughs> I love that uh, we're like 11 minutes into the podcast and Justin's already seen your dick. <laughs> you yeah, guys I mean, have never <laughs> met before. That's how you connect. Well, no, Yeah, it is. Because uh, for those of you listening, I have probably the greatest dick pick known to mankind it's, i mean it's really good i mean my dick's not that big but it's just the angle the lighting 
you know, it's about 65% hard, so, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's big Technically enough. Technically, it showed, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a thick dick. It's real thick and girthy, and, you know, all these twats who leave me, guess what? <laughs> they all come back. Have so. you sent dick pics to the ladies before? No, I just, uh, what I like to do at the comedy store specifically is I like to show it to people and just get their reactions. <laughs> oh. And I have this whole like three minute long speech I do like, hey, can I show you my new headshots? I just trying to make it. I'm struggling right now. And, and you know, I'll go up to a famous comic and just really lay it on. <laughs> like I went up to David Spade because we were in the movie Benchwarmers together and he, we didn't have a scene together, but like. I'm like, hey man, I was in bench warmers and I haven't really worked a lot since then. And I'm just I'm struggling, man. And like <laughs> I'm just dude, I know you're famous SNL and Tommy Boy and just I really just drag it out. And I'm like, can I just show you my new headshots? Like, would these get me like a Bud Light campaign? And I show him the picture and he like ripped the phone out of my hands. Like, Jesus Christ, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it was funny? Oh, yeah, he showed it to the two whores he was with. <laughs> these girls were such whores, you could have a foot-long dick, but if you don't have a bulge in the back of your pocket, these twats don't care. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, your journey at the comedy store, because it's pretty interesting. You've been doing comedy for like 15 years. Uh, you recently got passed last year at the comedy store in December of yep. 2014. Uh, what was that like mentally? Because, like, some people complain, you know, about like, well, when am I going to get passed or whatever? And a lot of those people have relatively a little bit shorter paths. What was that like for you mentally to, to um, you know, to stick with it for so long and then finally get the the payoff? Of yeah, getting past you kind it? of probably wanted to quit right halfway through. Um, I mean, I've cert certain points, uh, I can't say I seriously thought of quitting, but it's like, you know, uh, un under the last, uh, say three to five years of, uh, the old talent coordinators regime, he would pass these people I, w I would be on shows with and, and, and go, this person couldn't follow me. And I'm not hard to follow, to be honest with you. I'm low energy and I'm like, you know, uh, you know, it's not that hard to follow, to be honest with you. And so I'm like, what am I doing? You know, and not that the comedy store is the end all be all. I mean, no club is. I mean, there's people who don't go to the comedy store and are very successful. And, you know, like, so it was, uh, it was quite a journey, you know, because it was, you know, certain people were getting passed because they gave the talent coordinator weed. Yeah and, you know, yeah, and that's a true, and it's not like he was getting a fuck-off spot at one thirty in the morning. All right, this is the guy who gave me weed. I got to fucking put him up. He would put this guy on at like 11.30, like ahead of Sam Tripoli, and and and, and then one guy got passed because he was giving the guy studio time, and, and it was like, what, is this what I have to do? I mean, do I, I literally thought of going up to his office going, hey, if I bought you a new guitar and stuffed it with weed, would that be enough? <laughs> I mean, I... I was probably 80% close to doing that, just going to Guitar Center and, uh, you know, believe me, weed is not hard to find uh, in our business and just buying uh, uh, probably like $1,000 worth of weed and stuffing it in the little hole in the center of the guitar. I don't even know what that's called, but the hole. But I'm like, <laughs> I can't get past like that. I just yeah. Can't. And so uh, luckily, um, 
let's just say the old talent coordinator had some, uh, not only were his views on society and certain elements interesting, uh, but he uh, had interesting accounting methods. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily for me, that basically got me passed. <laughs> what a shock no one's offered him a job in the entertainment community. You think you're the talent coordinator at the comedy store for 10 years. You've built relationships with every big-name comic in the fucking free world. And see, no one, no one reached out to him. <laughs> well, All right, well, some shade getting thrown well, on the well, podcast. What, what's interesting is, uh, so for your house racist character, I feel it kind of started off as an impression of the old talent coordinator at the comedy store. Oh, it was. Yeah, it's like it's like this is what you were were doing, and it and it's a, an evolved. Would you say it's evolved a little bit since then, where it's a little bit less? Because I don't hear like that voice quite as much <laughs> as wow. Well, uh, well, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean now it's just me and my personal views. So no, I'm just <laughs> I mean, well, you hear the the bombers I've got for tonight. Oh, it's going to be a real doozy. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people ask me serious race questions after every show. Like, like they don't know it's a character. And they're like, hey, you're old. Still? Uh, yeah, all, yeah. All like one guy last week, you know, because I went a little heavy on the Tommy impressions last week. And uh, he said, hey, man, do you really think black lives matter? And I'm like, of course they do. I'm trying to win my fantasy football draft. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Uh, and then you know, one uh, probably the most serious incident I've ever had was uh, about a year ago. A guy uh, got in, a black dude got in my face. He's like, "What's with the racist bullshit, man?" I'm like, "Oh, it's just a character, you know, like Archie Bunker." And he looked at me and goes, "Who the fuck is Archie Bunker?" I'm like, "Oh boy, <laughs> should I say rerun from what's happening just to get you back in the loop?" Uh. But what's funny about, like, what's cool, like, uh, we've all gotten some different um, uh, opportunities from the roast battle, which is cool. Like, at the at the smallest, uh, the lowest, we've gotten some cool festivals out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Whitney and some other members have gotten, like, some great representation from the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, you recently have been doing some stuff with Tyler, the creator, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, his, I play the voice of his dad uh, in this cartoon series, The Jellies. And it's a family, uh, it's about a family of jellyfish. And uh, I know Doc from the comedy store is also in it. I'm the only white guy in the show, uh, which is crazy. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, I, I didn't know who Tyler, the creator was, which is, you know, he's got like three million yeah, Twitter. he's super young. He's like 22, 23. Yeah, and he's like, you know, he was sitting in my chair at Roast Battle. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> you know, I thought he was just some skinny black dude. And I'm like, hey, man, you got to get out of my chair. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, man. And I'm like, you got any cocoa butter? You want to wipe that shit off my chair? And like, I think he loved that I was talking to him like that. Like, I had no yeah. idea who he was. And, uh, <laughs> After the show, I kind of felt bad, you know, for talking to him like I did. And I saw that he was talking with Gerard Carmichael. And uh, I walked up to them like, hey, man, you know, it's just a character. I'm, I'm sorry, you know. you know. And, of course, I tried to blame Roast Battle. I'm like, you know, they tell me to. <laughs> they tell me to say stuff like that. And he's like, I can't say what he said to me because he said a word that I'm not, I don't really say in, in, in life. He's like, my, you, my. 
and I'm like, hey, can I call you that? And he's like, no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's been great. And, uh, you know, even in Montreal, I got a pretty big manager's uh, card. He came up to me at one of those wacky parties and, you know, he's like, hey, I'm one of those Jew agents holding you back and call me when you get back. So, I mean, you, you it's crazy that you could get like legitimate, uh, you know, stuff from playing the house racist. And Whitney is signed with the biggest management company in town. Yeah. Because they saw her there. And uh, I think a William Morris agent saw her and then recommended her. And, and she's blowing up, like, beyond. I mean, she's like the next Whitney Cummins. She's, yeah, she's been doing great, man. Yeah, she just did uh, the comments section on E. Just doing that, one of the... Uh... Yeah, Michael Costa and uh, that whole crew. And then, uh, you know... That's she's that's like she's gonna be so big she'll turn down SNL like that's like she reminds me just like Whitney Cummings like Whitney was always focused like I used to do open mics with Whitney Cummings mm. like I mean outdoor patio shows on a Friday in front of three drunk tours from Romania and you know even in that situation you could tell Whitney Cummings was gonna be a star because she was so focused and when we were all going, let's go to Jerry's Deli and, you know, fuck around for the next few hours, she'd go home and write yeah, or edit yeah. something. And that's how Whitney is. So, Whitney Rice. So. That's great. Uh, so, what has, like, been, like, over the years, like, you, you've uh, you've done, a, like, a lot of cool stuff. You mentioned that you did the bench warmers. Um, you've been opening for Rob Schneider for uh, a number of years, uh, and you you even opened for him in Montreal. What was that like? Well, it sucked because <laughs> I got to the theater. Uh, uh, me and Whitney, Whitney was going to do like a five-minute thing, and, uh, and I was going to open for him, and I got there, and they're like, uh, Rob's not here. He had to go home to Los Angeles. Uh, family <laughs> emergency, uh, which later turned out, thank God, there was no... Well, no one was uh, ill in his family, but uh, his house was robbed. Oh, yeah. That was all over, like, TMZ. Yeah, it was like, and, you know, so it was like, that, uh, like, you know, that it was an 800-person theater. Like, it was, like, beyond sold out for him. So uh, that that was kind of a bummer. They tell everyone to go home? Um, I think they ended up getting three uh, comics uh, to fill in the spot because uh, I think a lot of the tickets were... Uh, like they had already bought the tickets before they knew it was Rob Schneider. You gotcha. Know, so they were just okay. Well, you three guys. I tried to muscle in on the show, but I tried to palm, and you know they rebuked me. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> but you've opened for him a lot over the years. How, what's uh, what's that like uh, uh, working uh, with a guy like Rob? Oh, he's great. I mean, he's you know he got to be one of the top ten draws in the country. I mean, there's not many comics of his name recognition, or not many people with his name recognition doing comedy. It's like this weekend he sold out five shows at the Irvine Improv. That's like four or 500 people. Sunday night show was sold out. Yeah, that's so rare that Sunday night shows will yeah. sell out at any club. It's rare they have Sunday night shows. Yeah. Uh, you know, for guys like you and me, you too, slick. Although I've never seen your act, it's awesome. I bet. <laughs> uh, you know, we'd be lucky to get one show Friday, one show Saturday. That Rob, I mean, they would have added the second show on Sunday if he, if he would have done it. Wow. So, uh, you know, 
it's I see crowds that most headliners don't get to see. So it's pretty neat. I mean, but you also realize they're not there for, for you. So don't get too cocky. Yeah. Is it? Do you find that it's sometimes harder? Uh, not harder um, necessarily, but do you find it difficult sometimes for certain shows where, well, some of his crowds write you off because they're just waiting for Rob since he's like the the main event or whatever. Oh yeah. Well, you've opened up for like Jeff Ross. Yeah. And it's the same. You know, same thing. It's, but I know how the crowd feels. Uh, you know, when I go to see Kiss, I, I, you could have Led Zeppelin be the opening band. I'm like, I'm here to see Kiss, man. Hit the bricks. And, uh, <laughs> so, but you, I think after, if you're funny after the first joke or two, they're like, all right, you know, this guy or girl has to do, I mean, someone has to do this job. And, um, you know, very, I would say under 5% of the time did I ever lose the crowd. Yeah. Um, how does it feel of... So you have so that means you have lost the crowd before. How does it feel well, like there's I mean, that many people? A couple it, hundred shows you figure yeah. over four years. You're not you know, unlike most LA bullshitting comics, you know, I'm not gonna say I killed every show. Uh, <laughs> these fucking palmers out here. <laughs> yeah, hey Earl, great set. Uh I love the closer. Uh I haven't even gone on yet. <laughs> fucking goyim. So uh I mean, it sucks. You, you know, you bomb in the OR in front of ten people. It's not so bad. You bomb in front of five, six, seven hundred people. It's not a good feeling. You know, there's just an emptiness over the room. That uh, once you lose them, it's over, Johnny. But yeah, that that didn't happen too often. So uh, I'm lucky. Yeah. That's awesome. What was the the first? Uh, what was like some of the first work that you that you booked in comedy or, or acting, whatever? Um, well, you I don't started? want to say the fucking channel's name because they're the worst videos ever created. But I mean, I don't want to make this buffoon any money. But uh, I did this like man on the street type video, like jaywalking, but with these cunts in bikinis. Uh, called Hot Girls and Earl on Comedy Time. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, they're the worst. Uh, you know, like, the first girl had, like, these trip, like, some Asian, you know, typhoon, uh, like, triple D tits falling. She, there she's in a bikini, her gut's hanging out. She looks like she swallowed a keg. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it got uh, three and a half million hits on YouTube. <laughs> And so I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna be a star. I mean, I really thought, like, I'm gonna be like that girl on the the, the billboards now on YouTube. That girl Grace, or, or oh, you, yeah. you know, Gilberg or whatever. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my, this is my shot. I, this is like three years in, so I, I hadn't had a lot of success yet. And you know, I was like, oh my god. And then the next video came out and got like a million and a half hits. And then. uh the next video, you know, then they started averaging about five hundred to eight hundred thousand hits on YouTube, and I'm like, oh my god! And then nothing. You ever saw any money from that? From no, revenue? these fucking guys were the biggest hustlers in the business. I mean, you know, they were like dealing with the band in the bar in Star Wars. You know, just just goons. And I think I made. I mean, I literally got comedy time, probably 15 million hits. You know, I did about maybe 20 videos, and I made like $400. Oh, man. So, But at the time, I thought, oh, this is great. And I know if I ever do make it, 
this is the first thing people are going to see. They're going to YouTube my name and see <laughs> Earl interviewing Naomi Nguyen. You know, they're big fucking cantaloupes hanging out and she's got makeup that looks like Stevie Wonder applied it. And, <laughs> you know, but you, you learn. I mean, you know. Yeah, you got to take those bad gigs before you can move up out here. No, oh, I've done some of the worst gigs on earth. You know, I've done... Uh, I opened up for the band Motorhead once because the guitar player really liked me. He's like, I want you to open up for us when we go into the whiskey. And Motorhead fans are brutal, man. I mean, they're like, they're, they're, they're like hardcore to say the least. And uh, I literally uh, got one foot on the stage and someone yelled out from the crowd, get off the stage, faggot. <laughs> And they Jesus. meant it. They weren't like kidding. They were yeah. like, I'm like, I introduced Motorhead. Like, All right, guys, here's Motorhead. Suck it. <laughs> so, and many other bad gigs, but, you know, gay bars, uh, you know, bringer shows, uh, you know, uh, I mean, opening for bands, which is the worst. Uh, you know, just yeah, you've got to feel that times a thousand if, like, versus like featuring or opening for a comedian. Like, a lot of times, I'm sure the bands really don't want to see a comic go on before their favorite band. Well, I mean, I remember reading that Jeff Foxworthy used to open up for Poison. Like, oh, what a great gig that used to, you know, must have been for him. And he said people would throw shit at him. And, <laughs> like, I know Polly Shore used to open up for Warrant. And this is back when Warrant was huge, you know, in the late 80s. And, uh, like, wow, that must have been crazy. But,. It might have been a little different for him because he had that rock and roll MTV background, so they might have been a little more accepting of him. But you know, a, a Motorhead show is probably not one I'll ever do again. Yeah. Well, we're uh, we're about to wrap up this podcast here, um, but we uh, want to do the the final segment of the show, Justin. It's Hollywood bitch slap time. Watch you better work on your impressions. Dude. You're not the What's black guy from Police Academy, that's for sure. I did my best. Uh, do, do better. <laughs> Thanks for the advice. Advice. Advice? Yeah. Advice. <laughs> I love how you guys have had like 30 seconds of interaction on this podcast. Your improv skills are <laughs> about as good as mine. Awful. <laughs> All right, <laughs> so uh, did you get a Hollywood bitch slap for us? Uh, well, I, I don't know. Uh, what's the premise of the Hollywood bitch slap? It's any time in Hollywood uh, where you felt uh, like really down on your luck or something bad has happened within Hollywood. It can be literally any kind of weird or bad Hollywood story. Well, there's two. I, I know. I mean, do you, are you guys set on your time of a half hour or is it like if it goes No, over? we're already over a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, well, the, the quick one is... Uh, I once auditioned for Just for Laughs, uh, and uh, I had auditioned like three or four years in a row, and uh, this one year I got a call back, and all the big wigs were there. I mean, like everyone from Montreal flew out for this call back, not to see me necessarily. And uh, I, um, you know, I had, I think, 15 people. Um, I, I would say I probably had the second best set. And I'm very honest. Like, when I bomb, you know, like the first night of Roast Battle I, in Canada, or the Jeff Ross Roast Invitational, I don't want lawsuits flying here. Uh, I bombed. And uh, and then, you know, the second night I, I did good. Uh, I did very well on this callback. And two people who bombed on it, I mean bombed, got it. And so I was like, what, what, what am I doing? 
I mean, what's what am I doing wrong? Yeah. Uh, I mean, what's what's like that was uh, when I was like not necessarily thought of quitting, but it was like if it's not based on how you do what what's the point of doing well was it just they had better reps or oh they, i have no i've never had a manager in my life so and they I, afterwards i found out and i'm friends with both people so it's it's uh you know they had pretty big management and uh you know so uh you know that that was very frustrating and even with roast battle it's been frustrating because uh, i think everyone from the show has gotten agents or managers but me and so, me oh okay well yeah, me and fuck you. it yeah but i mean it's crazy though i don't i mean yeah. i know people come up to you and say you saved the show this week because uh, you guys do an amazing job and yeah and you know there's some shows where i don't necessarily know if i say i i, I saved it but uh i enhanced it significantly um especially in the early days when you know it wasn't like now it's great roasters for the most part Back in the you know first six months, it was open micers who you know like uh, that. Jim Scott Kid roast was like watching two girls in one cup backwards. <laughs> so on a show like that, I mean, so uh, that was. It. But I'm happy for everyone who got like sure. You know, like Whitney deserves everything she gets. Uh, you know, Moses deserves everything he gets, and. Uh, you know, uh, I know Jamar and Jack Knight was like in, in I think the original, you know, uh, Negro Wave. Yeah, yeah. That that, but it was like okay, uh, if I'm saving all these shows and and doing well for the most part every week, what what am I like? No, it's super frustrating. Uh, I mean, because we're both, you know, we we've been uh, doing the show like uh, a long time, and it's an ensemble show. And it's very strange when everybody else in the cast is getting certain things. And we're really not, you know, it's, if it's a representation thing, that's really not a ton to ask. It's not like we're like, well, where are our TV deals or whatever? It's like, oh, no, just like some, some managers or whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think the first, I don't want to say, you know, who was there, but the first industry showcase we had, uh, you know, I could tell they were looking at both the Negro Wave and, me and Whitney going, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Uh, and But then we both uh, did very well that night. And, you know, it's just like, I mean, I come from a like a, a sports background where it's like, like I play hockey a lot. And it's like in hockey, it's like, okay, Earl, you got the hardest shot. You're going to play in the power play because we want to give you the ball to shoot it. And if hockey were run like comedy, it'd be like, well, Earl, you got the hardest shot. But Joey's uh, dad's friends with, uh, you know, the equipment manufacturer, so <laughs> he's going to play on the power play over you. Uh, so that's, like, been, like, uh, you know, for us, like, Montreal and not getting it. Uh, and then roast battle scene, like, everyone but you and me, you know, get, uh, you know, but then, you know, I got Tyler, the creator's right. thing. So I can't, like, complain completely, but it, this business is... This is tough, man. It's all who your representatives are. Like, you know, you take the funniest comic with no representation and an average comic with great representation, the average comic will get everything over the great comic 100% of the time. Yep. So it's kind of, you know, sucks, but uh, I guess you know that going in now, and... 
you know. Uh, and you wanted to talk about a gangbang story? Is that? Yeah, yeah, because it's Hollywood related. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I used before I started comedy. Long story short, uh, I'll t- I'll try and it, it's, it's it's a wacky story, but uh, you know, I have to explain who this group is because it is relevant to the industry. Uh, before I did comedy, uh, I used to hang out with uh, a lot of high level agents and managers. I mean, I'm talking the big agencies. You know, ICM, William Morris. Uh, you know, triad at the time, which was a big, you know, CAA, and they loved me, and they were the guys who pushed me into comedy. They were like, just get in the business, we'll help you, just, you know, find your shtick, and and you're funnier than any of our clients. And then I got in the business, and they all left to get into real estate. Fucking cocks. Wow. Except for one who's still working, and I have to change the story to kind of, like, protect them. But long story short, they were the most sexually deviant group of people I've ever been around in my life. Uh, just <laughs> animals. Uh, you think the comics at the store are, are pigs now? And by the way, I've lost every chick I've ever dated to the comedy store with all those fucking werewolves and baboons. I mean, you, you turn your back for two seconds. You, uh, you know, some guy's groping your girlfriend or the girl you're dating's tits right in front of you who owes you fucking money. Uh, it's like, is this straight out of Bizarro World? I mean, I've never once picked up on anyone's... Like, you have a beautiful girlfriend. Is she attracted to me? Yes. I mean, like, she's beautiful. <laughs> no, I mean, she's... I'm saying she's beautiful, but right, yeah. I never in a million years would try to go around your back and go, hey, you know, if it doesn't work out with Jeremiah, you know, you know where to find me. I, I've seen that happen to every girl I've ever dated or whatever. Are you still there. friends with those people? I mean, you know, that... Uh, you know, the... the uh, you know, I don't... Uh, maybe. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like you... <laughs> The current situation I'm dealing with right now, it's like, you know, I can't really say anything because it's a fucking, you know, it's a guy, you know, it's a whole deal, but fuck it. Uh, so these guys would have me around because I was a big guy and I didn't drink or smoke, do drugs, so they knew I could handle any problems that would a- arise because let's just say these guys uh, didn't share my same philosophy on <laughs> not going after other guys' girlfriends. Uh, I mean, one day, and I, I know we got to go. It's it's, it's it's a crazy story. I mean, one day I'm at the Rainbow with one of these pigs, and uh, this beautiful blonde walks in, huge tits, you know, just a skin tight outfit, but you know, pussy's hanging out, and and she looks over at the guy I'm with, and she says to these two monster roid heads, "That's the guy over there," and she's pointing at my friend. I'm like, oh man. And they come to our table and they're like, this guy said he was a producer, man, and I just saw him working at Starbucks. Fuck this guy. And the guy headbutted my friend. (laughs) So these are the situations I would have to get these guys out of. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So I was privy to a lot of wacky parties. I mean, uh, just, you know, uncomfortable situations where I left the room because I thought a you know, pinball machine was going to be brought in at some point to reenact the scene from the accused. <laughs> and so this one night, three or four in the morning, I'm in bed, I get a phone call, and we had a code back then, because usually everyone had a girlfriend at that time, uh, was you said alert, alert, alert into the phone three times. As for That was like, it's on. 
So uh, I get that message on my machine. I said to my uh, lady friend I was with at the time, Hot Tub Eric needs a uh, ride to the airport. I'll be right back. <laughs> Hot Tub Eric. <laughs> i got to kind of change your name. Right, right, sure, sure. Uh, she's like, uh, Earl, it's 3 in the morning. What flights are leaving at 4? I mean, I think there's a restriction on uh, LAX. I think there's a lot of takeoffs at 4 in the morning. But uh, my friend said, dude, get over here. we got a live one. And that's code for something's going down. So I go over there and I park my car in the middle of Doheny in my underwear with the engine running. <laughs> I was so horny to get up there. My car was running in the middle of the street. I go up there. I open up my friend's door and I see about 10 agents, managers, uh, line producers. I mean, every high-end job in the business. I see 10 of these guys. And it was like that opening scene from Saving Private Ryan, just bodies everywhere, rubbers everywhere, just uh, alcohol bottles, uh, semen-encrusted towels. Uh, and the girl looks up at me. There's one girl and ten guys in the room, and she goes, who the hell are you? And someone was like, oh, he's got more money than all of us. He's in Guns N' Roses. And uh, she like, signaled for me to come over and... You know, this girl, like, she looked like Gene Simmons after an encore, just makeup <laughs> everywhere. So was she a prostitute or she was just... No, no, she was, she was just a live one. And uh, <laughs> these guys could pick out a girl, go into a nightclub. Like, Whitney Cummings can walk into a room of 100 people and figure out who's the most powerful person here. That person can help me and go right to them and make them feel like they are the king of the world, which is why she's where she's at in life. My friends were the kind of the same. They could figure out in a room full of 100 people who's a whore and who would fuck nine of their buddies right now. So this has been going on for about nine hours, apparently. They met her at the Four Seasons on Doheny. It's a big agency hangout. And, uh, you know, I go over there, and she looked a little green around the gills. And uh, her vagina at this point kind of look like that thing Boba Fett fell into. That's um, the Sarlacc pit for you uh, fucking nerds. And I'm like, well, listen, I don't have any condoms. I didn't know what was going on. Where are the rubbers? And someone's like, Earl, we're all out. I'm like, well, I'm not going in there dry. <laughs> and my buddy, uh, Jumpin' Johnny, so we'll go in the kitchen, find something. I'm like, go in the kitchen. I mean, <laughs> find something. <laughs> what does that even mean? So I go in the kitchen and I see a Pringles can, and I'm like, well, that's not going to work. Although it probably could have at that point. And I see out of the corner of my eye a, a bag of Ritz crackers, and I'm staring at it like Tim Allen on Home Improvement, going, "All right, if I carefully open it up, dump all the crackers out. I mean, I got a pretty big dick." If I stuffed it in there, it could work. So I literally, un I zip or uh, I pull the end of the Ritz cracker bag open very carefully. I dump all the crackers out and I put it on my thing and I did my business. Oh, did I score a load? And uh, I mean, I was so worked up. <laughs> I was so. <laughs> I was so worked up at this point that when I squirted, it was like that episode of the Three Stooges where Curly found the oil geyser. Hey, Mo, it's a geyser. And uh, so I, I, you know, I, I 
squirted on like three different scripts that I think eventually got made into blockbuster <laughs> movies. And, uh, you know, I kind of felt bad for this girl. I was the last guy standing. And uh, What would possess her to do that? She thought people in the room were going to help her? Um, no, to be honest with you, she just was horny. She wasn't an actress. She was just a horny older woman. And, you know, it, it all will make sense in two minutes because I know we're going way over... Uh, and I do apologize for that, but you can't wrap up these gangbang stories in 30 <laughs> seconds. Uh, so I'm like, well, I got to go, guys. Thanks a lot. And someone's like, hey, can you give her a ride home? I'm like, uh, this girl doesn't really look like she comes from a home. Uh, I'm like, where are you staying, honey? She's like Sterling Plaza, Beverly, uh, Glenn, and uh, Com Wilshire, which, of course, is a Donald Sterling hotel. What a shock that he would house someone like this in one of his hotels. So I'll give you a ride. They just, my friends just wanted her out of there. So uh, she puts on her underwear and puts on a, a jacket. We go to my car, which is running, parked in the middle of a street. And she gets in, and I look at her jacket. I'm like, oh, wow. She said Shelby Motors on it. Now I'm a big car buff, you know. Carol Shelby is the inventor of maybe the greatest car of all time, the, the Ford Cobra. Very mm -hmm. famous car. I'm like, oh, my God, you, Shelby Motors, that's the Cobra, Mustang, man. It's legendary. Hey, you know Carol Shelby? She looks at me in the most deadpan look and goes, no, I'm, that's my husband. Oh. Now, you think that would be the end of a gangbang story, but it's not. Because the next day I told my two friends at the gym about this girl, and they are like, we gotta, we got to go over there. I'll tell her I plan the Raiders. Well, you don't have to. You just go over there. <laughs> Literally, you just tell your friends with the girl, drop them off at this hotel. Two days later, they call me. I'm like, hey, how was it? They're like, how was it? We're still here. What? Jeez. Now, you think the story went in there. <laughs> so word started to spread about this girl. And my friend, who's a very, very successful person in the entertainment business, he got word of it. He's like, I got to get in on this. I'll take her to dinner and play pool with her. I'm like, you don't have to. You don't have to take her to dinner. You don't have to play pool. She's literally fucked 14 of my friends in two days. Not one dollar was spent on dinner. And he's like, no, 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 I want to do it. I want to do it. I'm a romantic. I'm like, whatever. They go out. The next day, she calls me. I'm like, hey, how was he? He's got big dick, right? Successful, man. She's like, girl, I didn't touch him. I'm like, you didn't fuck one person? Like, literally, after what you've done the last three days, you didn't have sex with one person? She's like, Earl, I'm not fucking anyone that can't beat me in pool. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. <laughs> and I haven't seen her since. So. Well, I guess that story ends happy because she found her dignity at the end. Let me do the tags. <laughs> He's uh, trying to tag it up after dude, a ten uh, minute story. I just fucking killed. <laughs> <laughs> you're the you're the type of fucking goyim. You know what? You're a real Palmer. You're the type of guy who goes on after Zeppelin just crushed it for four hours with an acoustic guitar and starts playing the fucking banjo. You you're a real Palmer Woodrow. <laughs> Well, that was uh, that was Earl Skakel, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, buddy. Where can uh, people find you online and uh, plug your podcast on here? I'm going to plug my ass in a second with this guy's tags. <laughs> uh, I, have, I have my own podcast, which I would love for both of you to come on. Uh, it's just called Inappropriate Earl. 
and uh, it's been what? Getting, yeah, yeah, been getting a lot of action lately because Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, rest in peace, Roddy. Uh, but thanks for dying when you did because you really bumped up the numbers. <laughs> Roddy would like that. Hey, listen, it's a cold business, Roddy. <laughs> Earl, and, uh, you told you told Marilyn, it's a silver lining to everything. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I had uh, before Roddy died, a friend of mine, uh, who was actually a really good friend of mine, uh, was uh, met an unfortunate demise uh, and uh, was killed. And uh, her podcast only got a couple extra hundred views, but you know, so you know, that's that how you know when you're a big pro wrestler. Uh, and for those of you asking, uh, this is not an angle where Roddy's coming back on a special inappropriate Earl. He's not coming back. <laughs> His funeral was today in Portland, and I tried to do a live podcast from it, but I got nixed by the family. So inappropriate Earl. Uh, and then uh, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, I just at Earl Skakel, uh, E-A-R-L-S-K-A-K-E-L. And, uh, you know, that's uh, where you can find me. Perfect. And check uh, Earl and I out every Tuesday around 11.30 midnight at the Comedy Store Belly Room for Roast Battle. Thank you guys so much for listening to The Building Years. Earl, love you, buddy, and thanks so much for doing the podcast. Yeah, I love yeah. you. and uh, You love me. Uh, boy, you're about as useful as uh, fucking rubber at Magic Johnson's house. <laughs> wow. He's got the good aids, though. He's, he's making it work. Stay white, everyone. <laughs>